Hey guys, you're listening to the Simply 127 podcast. Now, you might be thinking, that doesn't sound like Sarah Beth. It's not. My name is Manny Prieto. I'm the director of operations for 127 Worldwide. And today, I thought we'd try something a little bit different. For episode 38 of the Simply 127 podcast, our guest is Phil Dark. Phil wrote a book some years back called In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. It's actually the first book I had to read when I came to work for 127 Worldwide. That book had a tremendous impact, uh, not just on me personally, but on our staff as a whole, as we considered uh, the best ways, the healthiest ways to care for the orphan, care for the vulnerable. Uh, it's a book that continues to shape us today. It, it's a book that continues to drive a lot of our conversations as we continue to look for better, healthier ways to, as the global body of Christ, care for the vulnerable, work with locals to do that. And so I'm very excited for you to be able to listen to this conversation today between Sarah Beth and Phil. I hope that it will be a blessing to you. I hope that it will challenge you and encourage you uh, in all the ways that it's done that for us uh, on staff at 127 Worldwide. So without further ado, here's Sarah Beth and Phil Dark. Thanks so much for joining us today, Phil. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very, very excited to do this. Yeah, so uh, we're going to jump right in. I'd love for you just to tell us a little bit about your family, your background, and how God first stirred your heart to care for the vulnerable. Yeah, you know, I mean, we could spend hours talking about this, but <laughs> we won't. I don't know. Um, I, I have an amazing wife, uh, Becca, five kids, ranging from 19 down to 10, um, three girls and two boys. And uh, I, I born and raised on Southern Cal. I now I'm up in Northern California, had some detours to Hawaii and Georgia and Nashville. Uh, I was an attorney for about eight years. And while I was an attorney, um, Becca and I, we just started talking about uh, adoption. And and it, it really, that wasn't just out of the blue. That was something that, well, it was for her, but she talked about it. She was having stirrings in her heart and I never even thought about it. Um, and, and then as I was um, just kind of stewing on some different ideas of, of what God had for me. I felt like the law firm life was not for me for the rest of my life, but I didn't know what the other thing was. Mm -hmm. And so at one point, I mean, the, the, the true story is on our second anniversary date, my wife was eight months pregnant with our second kid. So you do the math. We had kids <laughs> very quickly after we were, after we were married. And she said to me during that anniversary date, Hey, have you ever thought about adoption? And I just looked at her like she was nuts. And I said, no, why would I have ever thought about adoption? We obviously don't have a problem having kids. That's where I was in the context of, you know, obviously that's changed a lot since then as far as my, yeah. my understanding of what, you know, the orphaned and the vulnerable and the, this all this work that we get to do is, right? And so that just shows you that was back in 2002. So fast forward a couple of years, I was reading the book, Desiring God, um, and don't waste your life. And then I read the book, good news about injustice. And I started having this understanding of, wow, I can use my legal skills for the kingdom in these different ways. What might that look like? And so, um, I, I as I read good news about injustice, which is Gary Haugen international justice mission. And, mm -hmm. and I started seeing the anti-trafficking work and the different, um, things that you can do, you know, with legal skills. And so I thought, Oh, maybe I should, maybe I'm supposed to go into anti-trafficking work. So I started, uh, reaching out to them. They said, we don't need anybody right now, unless you want to move overseas for six months. And I didn't feel like that was, you know, what my young family was feeling led to do. So I started doing more research on that and seeing, 
that most of the victims of these injustices were the orphaned and the vulnerable. And I thought, well, I'm Connecting a root the cause dots. kind of thinker, right? <laughs> I'm just a root cause thinker. If you've ever listened to Think Orphan, you know I'm a root cause thinker, right? <laughs> and I'm going to go back and say, what? how can we go back and hopefully avoid the these orphaning events? I didn't know that's what it was at the time. I didn't know the lingo at the mm-hmm. time, but I was like, how can we go back and, and really prevent these things from happening so we don't have to rescue as many kids so we don't have to have these kids who are who are broken at the to the point of just you know it's really hard to even bring them back and restore right so how can we love them well before they get that so then my wife and I as we were as we were thinking about adoption and so on we actually started the adoption process from China back in 2006 and I'm shortcutting a lot of the story I'd love to tell the whole <laughs> thing at some point but Boy, um, and that's really when I started doing more and more research into what we now know, what that we've been doing over the last, what I've been doing over the last 15 years or so. And then I ended up finding uh, La Providencia, which is the orphan care community that, that, that Providence, which is the organization I now run, used to oversee. Mm-hmm. And I got connected with them, ended up joining the board of directors. And as I did that, my passion grew. I left my law firm in 2008, went full-time with Providence. Kind of the rest is history. We've been able to do some amazing things since then. That's awesome. I think when you think about those root causes, and you were talking about that the early 2000s, that was kind of cutting edge at that time, I'm guessing. (laughs) Orphan prevention and things like that. Yeah, no one was really, I mean, I, people might have been talking about it, but I didn't see it anywhere, you know, and yeah. it was it was just, it was something that God put on my heart, really, as I saw this, the interconnectedness of this anti-trafficking work and the adoption that I was looking to do and going, how can we really help people to understand? And again, I didn't know exactly what it was. It was just God stirring these ideas and thoughts in my head and now, 15 years later or 16 years later, looking back, I can kind of put some pieces together and go, okay, that's what God was doing. But yeah. I sure as heck didn't know it then. Back then, <laughs> it made no sense that this guy from South Orange County, California, was was uh, you know whose parents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary recently, was going to go into caring for orphan and vulnerable <laughs> kids. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. But, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. the kingdom is, well, you know, the kingdom's upside down. So, um, <laughs> but it's been really cool. <clears throat> Yeah, even in your first answer, you gave a few other, you mentioned a few things I want to ask about. So the first thing is, just tell us about Providence. And I know God has opened doors in the last few years for you to kind of shift things around a little bit. So give us the Cliff Notes version of that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like like you just said, Cliff Notes, so much <laughs> of this, there's so much more. We could spend hours about any of these questions. But the short of it is, as I said, Providence World started really as an organization that was always was always wanting to help people understand best practices and how we can love orphan and vulnerable kids. And really how that started was through this this concept of La Providencia, which is a family uh, family based care uh, community in Honduras. And it really had family homes with moms and dads for you know, six to eight kids in a home mm-hmm. um, that that really have no parents and have no people that really that are known who can care for them. And so they were able to be brought in at a time when La Providencia was started. It, it really wasn't adoption wasn't part of the scene in Honduras, nor was foster care. And so really, this was the only I was kind of end around to get kids into homes rather than orphanages. Yeah. Right. And so um, that's really how Law Providencia started, and then there was a community community uh, development work, a, a medical clinic, 
a school. So really this holistic care to say, how can we love these kids with excellence? What does that look like? Right. That's what La Providence was. So that's what La, the Providence kind of started. Mm-hmm. And then we had the, we had, you know, then I, I took over as president and, and we always had the idea. I came on board as research and development director. The idea was to take the concepts from La Providencia and help other organizations to flourish by using these principles and framework of La Providencia, yeah. right? Not and so using, much how to. And using your networking skills too. <laughs> well, yeah, but that wasn't there yet, right? Like that was just, I didn't know that part of it yet. You know, I didn't realize that that's kind of was my. Uh, superpower, so to speak, you know, <laughs> as far as connecting with people and connecting people to people, yeah. right? I knew I, I did that naturally, but I didn't realize that that's kind of, looking back, I think that's why God brought me to the space, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's just what I do without even trying. Um, boy, uh, but back then it was more, okay, I want to help people understand how to to love kids better, right? And so what does that look like? Yeah. And so over the over the course of the next few years, I started I took over as president, the founder and president left the organization and I took over as president and I just basically started studying the space. I didn't know much about it, which was actually a good thing because I was able to have this like really truly have a learning posture and this humble posture because it was forced upon me, really. Like I didn't have a clue about it. It wasn't law stuff that I had studied for three years and practiced for. Yeah. It was this area I knew nothing about, right? And it was just continually learning. So I'd go to the conferences and I'd talk to people and I'd get on calls with people and I'd just start meeting people and, and trying to understand this stuff better. And as I started doing that, I realized a lot of the stuff that we're talking about isn't defined well, right? We, you know, mm-hmm. the word orphan wasn't defined well, right? The, the orphanage wasn't defined well, you know, whatever, all these different things that we talk about. And that's like, this is driving me crazy, especially as a lawyer, because if there's one thing lawyers do, it's define terms or else we get into trouble, right? So <laughs> give people a common so, language. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I saw people yelling at each other about this or that or the other thing. And, and I just be like, they're using different vocabularies. And so if we can just get the same vocabulary, I think that will help us understand even what we're arguing about. So that actually led to conversations with people to say, hey, do we have a glossary of terms? Do we have something that can actually give us a vocabulary that makes sure we're on the same page? And mm-hmm. everyone's like, no, we don't. We need it. Go for it. And I was like, well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything, right? And so anyway, long story short, that was the idea and concept that, that led to the book In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. Which, which now, you know, basically it, it turned into a book where people kept saying, you need to write this, you need to write this. I kept saying, no, how, do, how could I? Well, what it ended up being is that's why there's 15 authors on that book <laughs> yeah. is because I realized like, here's all the things that we need to talk about on, about what kids need, every kid's needs, but I don't know enough about each of these things to write it. So I need to find people who know more than I do, who have a humble posture, who know they don't have the answers, but who can create this conversation, frame a conversation so we yeah. at least have something to talk about, right? So that's that's what led to, to the In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. And I love that, I just had, um, collaboration, but also like people knowing what their expertise is and just kind of staying mm-hmm. in their lane. I think that's so Absolutely. important. Yeah, and the two the, the only qualifications I had really for that book were an experiential expertise, meaning they've done it on the ground, mm-hmm. and were actually had some successes, and that they had a humble posture to know they don't know they don't know everything. 
That was yeah. really the two things. And if you read through that book, you'll see that coming, shining through in that book. It was not a how-to manual. It was really a framework to say, hey, this is a conversation so that wherever you are, you can read this. And these are the questions you need to answer. And here's some ideas and thoughts, but we know it'll look different wherever you are. Yeah. So, so that really, uh, that was through the the first few years. And then from that, I started having a lot of conversations, as you might imagine, with people. And then um, about just the ways that we could do this this work better, different questions they had about starting different things, transitioning different things, all kinds of really cool conversations that then led for me to really understand more and more what we talked about at the beginning, which is the interconnectedness of family preservation, family mm-hmm. strengthening and poverty alleviation and anti-trafficking and adoption and foster care, all this stuff we talk about uh, really in different conversations usually. And I'm sitting here going, all this stuff is connected. If we strengthen families better, we'll have less kids to rescue out of trafficking. We'll have less need for mentoring. If yeah. we mentor with the idea of preventative uh, family, um, you know, a, a family preservation preemptively, then we'll do mentoring differently, right? And then we'll have less need for adoption and foster care. So that led to the Think Orphan podcast. You told us a little bit about the book In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence and how the idea came to you. Um, what are what are some success stories that you've heard or people who've been using it? I know our staff went through it as a staff development. Um, and then, of course, I have to ask, do you have any plans of another book on the horizon? I will answer the last question first. The answer <laughs> to the last question is no. Um, I, I have book ideas. Maybe that's, that's yes, I have book ideas, but do I want to write another book and go through that again? No. Um, which is why I have three podcasts now. I have Think Orphan, How Sagar Explains Leadership, and Coaching Character. So if you want to go check out the books that I would have written, they are now in podcast form. We'll put those in the show notes. Without having the book, yes. Yeah. Um, They're audio form without having the book. So I I actually, in all seriousness, I actually had a book. The book idea was How Soccer Explains Leadership. And and that is a true story that I And now it's a podcast. (laughs) And now it's a podcast. So I have, you know, and, and it may be at some point that I can get somebody to put it all together and put it into a book form, but it's not, it's just a lot of time, a lot of work, um, that I think we can get the information out there a lot quicker and cheaper to do podcasting. And so just from an efficiency standpoint, now I understand some people won't listen to the podcast and they'll only read a book if it's out there, but I, you know, there's only one of me and there's only so much I can (laughs) do in a day. And I realized that if I were to do a book, it would take a lot of time and energy yeah. and effort, which, which I'm not saying I'll never will, boy, uh, not now. I have a feeling if that <laughs> is the, what's supposed to happen, then it will probably be again in, in, uh, in a relationship and in collaboration with somebody else who actually loves to sit down and just write, you know, which I can do and I enjoy doing, but it's just something that is probably too much time for right now. So yeah. that's that, that answer. Um, Let's move to success stories. Stories. Cool stories. <laughs> yeah. So there's been, you know, uh, my favorite, honestly, is is not even like an organization. It's it's a it's a kid. I got an email from a kid, ten year old kid, in um, somewhere in the U.S. Didn't even say where he's from, and he said, he said, Mister Dark, I just want to thank you. I'm not. I'm paraphrasing the the email, but it was. I want to thank you for writing the book in pursuit of orphan excellence he says i was in my um living room the other day and i saw your book on the on the on the coffee table and i asked my dad if i could read it and he said yes 
And I, <laughs> so I opened it up and read it. And he said, and as I was reading it on page 33, I was reading about me. And I was like, well, I got to keep reading. What's going yeah, on? What's it's on page just, 33? <laughs> page 33 is talking about the orphan's heart. Mm. And, and he says, I was adopted from Ethiopia. Um, and my dad now has loved me and brought me into his home. And, but that, that your book has really captured, you know, who I he didn't say that necessarily, but it was that idea of it captured who I am and the, wow. the hurt and the hard. And, and it was just this moment of like, okay, that, that made it all worth it right there. Right. <laughs> you know, but that, but, the, but from the standpoint of organizations, you know, just stories of people have taken books to India to, to help. Um, organizations they're working with, they get there with the book and the book's already on the desk and they've already read it, reading through it. Um, and really helping the different work, the conversations I had with people after they've read it. Actually, one of the coolest stories is the organization that now oversees La Providencia in Honduras. And the book basically takes the, 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 a lot of the lessons we learned through La Providencia and creates that framework from it but they mm-hmm. read in pursuit of orphan excellence the organizations called horizon they read the 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 book and they contacted me to help them in the ministry they were doing in kenya at the time well fast forward a few years they started wanting to expand and and work more in latin america they wanted to go to honduras to start a new community and wanted to come look at la providencia again and i said well before you start something else <laughs> um but that was from that relationship started because of the book Um, you know, God had another plan. Absolutely. You know, and to see other, you know, organizations, my, my niece went to Bangladesh and, and she was working with this, this guy there. And she told him he, he, he saw her last name. He says, wait, is your, are you related to Philip? You know, and (laughs) sure enough, yeah, that's my uncle. And, and so he ended up coming out on a fundraising trip out here and I was able to connect with him, but he, again, read and applied and used the, the principles in Bangladesh um, and, and just really thought it, it was dead on with what he was going through and, and, and really helped him to process through some different, different things they were working through and to make sure that, you know, they're doing things again, best practice driven and so on. Oh. So those are the success stories for me. I love you that. know, it's not about numbers. It's not about anything and you know, whatever. It's never going to be a best New York times bestseller. Another, another thing, honestly, is, you know, people who have, there's been some criticism from some people and, but as I talked, but it, and it led to relationships that I was able to talk with them through stuff, you know, mm-hmm. somebody just bashed it and I reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to connect with you, you know, and talk through this. Right. And mm. turned out they misunderstood it. And that that is actually something I think happens more often than not is we just misunderstand things. And we and what I ended up saying at in some point in this conversation was, you know, I don't think that you read this book just to, to really understand what it says. I think you read this book to and you read it with this idea of what you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And 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 they wanted it to be something that was pro orphanage, just just praising everything about orphanage, saying this is amazing. And I said, really, it's 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 not a bashing of orphanages, but it's it's a true understanding of there are shortcomings, there are issues, right, with everything that we're doing. So how can we? What is this ideal that we can go toward together, right? And and and, and family is the ideal, and family mm-hmm. is what we want to get to. 
But there are some realities in our world that don't allow that at this moment in time. So how can we ensure that these kids can have family in the midst of a time where it might not be technically officially family? Because that may be the best that they can get at that point. So what does that look like? You know, so anyway, so those were some conversations that I was able to have that never would have happened without the book. And, and it goes to, you know, you know, something you kind of, we alluded to too, as well as just with collaboration is collaboration needs to start with trust and trust, you know, will not happen if you focus on the things you disagree on. Trust will happen when you start focusing on the things you know, and you agree on and that you have in common and that will build trust. And then when you hit things you disagree on, you'll be able to have better conversations about those things because you actually have developed the trust and you know that, well, if this person believes this, 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 and this, then I probably am misunderstanding their position on this other thing that it appears that they're completely out in left field. Yeah. And it may be that they're out in left field from where you are, but it doesn't mean that they're wrong and you're right necessarily. It may be that they're, they're in a different context than you are that you yeah. need to understand better. Well, this season of the Simply 127 podcast, we're talking about how the gospel is central to the work. We're not just a humanitarian organization. So I'd love just to know your thoughts as we see throughout Christian history, you know, taking care of the refugee, the orphan, the widow. Um, how is the gospel central to our work? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is basically chapter two of In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. We talk about this. and <laughs> We'll point and people there. It, it's God's heart. You know, this is God's heart that as we read through scripture, you see it throughout, you see it through the Torah, you see it in Isaiah one, right. You know, to, to bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. You see it in James one twenty seven. I mean, start to finish in scripture, you see, this is the core of God's heart, right? He's a father to the fatherless. He, he, he puts the lonely in families. He, he is always, it's always seeking the, the, you know, the advocating for those who can't advocate for themselves, right? And so what does that look like? So that's something that, that if we truly, I actually say it straight up in, in pursuit, if, you know, if you are a Christian, then you will love the orphan and the vulnerable. It's just a matter of how that plays out and what that looks like. That's all we need to figure out. But, but if, if you are, if you, if you are, because and you know what the scripture says, you can't help because we are image bearers, right? And if God has this heart for the orphan and vulnerable, then we will. Yeah. If we understand what who we are and we are truly filled by the Holy Spirit, then it will live out to care for those who are oppressed, those who are vulnerable, those who are orphaned, those who are sick, those who are poor. These people that you know, they they we see throughout scripture. Um, you know, that are representing each other. But at the, at the end of the day, and, and what I see too, it, this is something that I've talked a lot about over the last few years. So many people are saying, you know, we need to go far and wide, which I'm not saying we don't. Some people will be called far and wide to go love the orphan and the vulnerable. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, we do. But if you live in the suburbs of the United States, even, right, or the wealthiest of areas, there are orphan and vulnerable in your midst. And so you don't need to look far and wide. I mean, do it if that's your calling, but don't use that as an excuse. Like, well, I'm not called to go overseas. So I guess orphan and vulnerable are not who I'm called to to love. No, they're literally in front of you. I see it every day, you know, friends of my kids coming through my doors and they're fatherless 
and they're broken families and they're hurting in huge ways, massive ministry right in front of our face. And I think that if we're, if we have the eyes looking for it, we can love because again, we love because he first loved us. We love because we are image bearers, right? That's who we are. And, and I, I think that we know that. And we feel it in, 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 you know, in us if we truly are walking with the Lord. And sometimes we either ignore it because we're too busy or we try to say, well, that's for somebody else or whatever it may be. And again, I don't know what it looks like in your life. It, it's going to look different from me because we're different. Boy, mm-hmm. it will be something. And this is a guy talking who never even saw this until early 2000s. And, you know, that was over halfway into my life, right? Mm-hmm. So... Yep. If you pray for opportunities, God will definitely open doors for you for sure. It's true. And then you got to see them and you got to respond, right? Yeah. Like you got it. You can't, you can't just stick your head in the sand and go, oh, I don't, I don't see anything around me. I mean, <laughs> God is, God is, that's my prayer for my kids. That's my prayer um, for, for others is for God to make himself evident to us because he is everywhere. He mm-hmm. is with us all the time. Not for him to show up because he is showing up. We need to see it. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that every night, at, well, not every night, when we do it at dinner time, it's what are the three ways God showed himself to you today for our kids? Because how is he showing himself to us? That's, that causes us to look more mm-hmm. for how he is showing us, himself to us. And, I, you know, there are millions and millions of ways he could be. And so just the <laughs> prayer is for you to be able to see how he is showing himself to you and and how that in, includes and involves you loving and caring for the orphan and vulnerable and sick and poor and the oppressed yeah this is good stuff i know uh, we just scratched the surface like we said but we could probably talk for hours about any one of these topics <laughs> so um i'm gonna yep. go ahead and cut us off here i just want to thank you again and i know i've been a recipient of your networking and collaboration uh, skills. So I just appreciate the work that you're doing in our field. I love the, it's a privilege. It truly is a privilege and an honor and a blessing that I get to do it. So. Ah, such great information in that conversation. Thanks so much for continuing to push play. And as always, please check out our show notes. Um, Personally, I can highly recommend the Think Orphan podcast and the In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence book. I'm not quite as well-versed in the How Soccer Explains Leadership podcast. (laughs) My interest in soccer has only recently increased, all thanks to Ted Lasso. (laughs) Um, We are winding down season two of the podcast, and we've had just under 5,000 downloads. In fact, this episode will probably take us over 5,000 episode downloads. So we're grateful that you guys are continuing to listen, and we're just really excited about getting this content out to you. So thanks so much, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye.